three, two, one. From down in the dirty bird. Oh my goodness gracious. The only mustard buzzard podcast on the planet. This is Buzzardry. Here are your hosts, Ben Milam and Patrick McGee. Welcome back, everybody. Episode 23. This is Buzzardry. It is Thursday, December 30th at the time of this recording, right at the end of 2021. We hope you had a very Merry Christmas. Hope you have a Happy New Year. Getting one more in in the year of 2021 as we look ahead to 2022. Got some things to catch up on. My name is Ben Milam. I'm here with my partner, as always, Patrick McGee. Pat, how you doing? Doing well. Glad to be on. Pat, it is great to be back with you after a little bit of a hiatus, and uh, like I said, we've got a few things to catch on. We'll talk a little bit of football offseason, some of the transfer things floating around. We'll catch up a little bit on basketball and uh, do a little mini preview, talk a little baseball, and uh, we talked about it before we started recording. Kendall Rogers tweeted, 50 days away as of uh, today on Thursday December 30th, so less than two months, and that is, man, that is good news for a weary soul, and uh, we will get to know another one of our conference mates, future conference mates, and I will tell you a little bit about uh, one of the closer uh, partners to our West, and uh, Pat, let's get right into it, a little bit of football catch-up, no real news on transfers as, as far as the Southern Miss side of things, Miles Brennan obviously stays at LSU, the word on the street was that he was sold on Southern Miss, and Brian Kelly gave him a phone call. And of course, this is all after Max Johnson, who was thought to be the starter uh, going into next year for LSU, decides to enter his name in the transfer portal. And so, Miles Brennan stays there, and a couple other things floating around. But as far as Southern Miss, there's there's nothing to report, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, so that was kind of the I guess that broke. Uh... Trying to maybe it was the day after we recorded, possibly. I think, that was the day after signing day, I think it was. Yeah, I think it was. I think it was. Yeah, I think you're right. Right so, around there. So, yeah, that was kind of a, a disappointment, and it was a situation like you were saying. There was somebody, uh, New Orleans CV guy, said that he was prepared to commit to another school. He did right. not specify what school that was. It, you know, heavy speculation that it would have been USM. Brian. Well, yeah, I'm sure a lot of the Nebraska fans were saying the yeah. same thing. He was about to go to Nebraska. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, then Brian Kelly gave him a phone call that Monday, and you know, I'm sure he convinced him like, "Hey, you know, you have a real chance to be our guy here in 2022. Come back." And you know, that was the end of that. So you know, that was something that was the a ton of speculation. Uh, and it'll probably you know be one of those things we talk about in 10 or 20 years of kind of the recruits or transfers that have gotten away, sure. kind of go up there with the uh, Terry Grants of the world. Oh yeah, uh, the old Lumberton uh, running back from the mid 2000s went to Bama, but um. Yeah, so that, that was just a little disappointment. And, you know, you've had a couple quarterbacks into the portal. Uh, Connor Basilek, um from Missouri. Braxton Burmeister from Virginia Tech. Those are kind of new entries to the portal. We'll see if the staff goes after any of those uh, guys. But other than that, no, uh, no notes on any um, any tackles or any other, right. um, you know, offensive linemen or defensive. Uh, we talked about maybe add another defensive lineman. No word on that. Um, so kind of a dead period in recruiting. Um, so, yeah, I guess – Things will probably heat up here, I guess, in two dead period until January twelfth, uh, I believe. So they can't officially um, 
I guess, visit campus until then. So I think, you know, about two weeks or so, uh, maybe a little before that, you start hearing some things about um, additions to the roster. But until then, it's just kind of a slow part of football. Yeah, and especially after once uh, most of the bowl games are over with and uh, you'll see some more guys enter their name into the portal. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the 13th is the deadline for uh, portal transfers uh, to commit. Uh, I'll double check on that to to make sure that's right, but I believe that's the case. And so, yeah, these next two weeks is is when you're you're going to see those six spots that we've been talking about hopefully shape up and or at least have a a better idea of of how the coaching staff is going to fill those six spots. And just from my point of view. I get the feeling that, well, I mean, there, there are two sides of it. I mean, there are a lot of pretty talented transfer quarterbacks in the portal, but I don't know. Maybe this is, uh, this is me, uh, whatever the word is, being negative, being the opposite of idealistic. It feels like it's going to be Zach Wilkie and Tykes. That's just That's just where I'm sitting, and there's some other things floating around that, uh, you know, some rumors that we've heard before in the past that may or may not pan out. And, you know, it's uh, – and, and maybe it's because we've heard those rumors before. And, you know, you can look at the Miles Brennan situation. We were – you know, a lot of people were – yeah the, the rumor was that he had signed the dotted line and he had enrolled and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like we've heard those kind of things before. But, I don't know, it feels, feels like to me the most natural progression of all of this is that you get – maybe one or two defensive linemen and hopefully a, a couple of tackles and uh, a couple other guys to fill those six spots. And then you have the two young quarterbacks battling it out in the spring. Yeah, th- and I think even tackles. Tackles are so important and they're so, oh, yeah. um, you know, people want them really badly. They're so desired. So, <laughs> I mean, it's a situation where even like just kind of an above average or um, average tackle, those guys yeah. get snapped up pretty easily. Yep. Uh, so that could be a hard thing to find as well. We'll see if they can add anybody from there. Um, but, yeah, if that's the situation, you know, um, he wanted a bridge, you know, Hall kind of – he didn't say this specifically, but kind of just wanted a bridge quarterback to give another year progression right. for uh, Wilkie and Keys uh, to where those guys would be ready um, to go in 2023. And uh, as of right now, it's looking like, yeah, those guys are going to be throwing the fire a little bit and you'll have a real quarterback battle there. Um, so yeah, you would only have um, so you would. I don't know. He hasn't mentioned T. Webb at all in the in the thing or no. any of his interviews. But and he's talked about low moving, uh, possibly the tight end. So you would only have two scholarship quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you would want to add at least somebody. I guess as a third scholarship quarterback somewhere, um, even if they're not really going to compete, just as reasons of depth. Yes, um, as you saw this year. Oh, yeah. You know, you really need to have <laughs> yes, that or else yes. you're going to be running, you know, as fun as the back was. I don't think that's something you really want to be doing uh, on a permanent basis. So, yep. um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting to see if they can land uh, any kind of any kind of quarterback transfer and then kind of, um, in addition to that, an offensive tackle or anybody from the offensive line. Those are the positions you kind of look at, as well as, you know, he's talking about maybe adding a defensive lineman yep. um, as well. So, yeah, that's kind of the, the three positions uh, is quarterback, offense, and defensive line are two or three skill groups, mm-hmm. um, rather. Mm-hmm. Where, um, yeah, you're looking uh, to see where uh, you can add some guys and 
see if uh, you can improve that roster for 2022. Yeah, and I thought it was I thought it was pretty interesting and a little head scratching to me that there is already a conversation of moving Trey Lowe to another position. You know, the tight end is the speculation, but without a transfer quarterback, you would think that you would want to keep him at quarterback because if you know. You would at that point you would have three scholarship guys, and he was obviously your starter day one um, in twenty twenty one. And so, I don't know. There, you know, there are a lot of things that we are not aware of, and we don't know all the all the things that have gone on uh, into that decision. Um, That's not to say that that is completely decided. It could be where they are assuming that they do get somebody, and if they don't, they may be keep him at quarterback, something like that. But, but yeah, like you said, there's still still some needs to address. So these, these next two weeks and a couple of days after that, those will be uh, a big deal and, and hopefully pretty busy because either way you got to fill those six spots and, uh, you know, to be at the 85 and, and like you said, fill those, those, uh, fill those needs that uh, are pretty glaring at this point still. Um, because, again, we talked about you only signed three offensive linemen, all high school guys in the early signing period. And so you would you would really, really love to see at least two, uh, maybe three or four offensive linemen and a couple tackles in there somewhere. So uh, we're going to move on to basketball. A few things to catch up with, a couple of losses. And I believe that, that this was the week – that we had Loyola on Saturday, that Saturday, if I'm not mistaken. That one that one was axed. Didn't play that one because of COVID. Is that right? Did we uh, or did we record after that? We recorded after the Loyola cancellation. We did, we, okay. Yeah, we, we were right before the ULM game. Okay, so the two games that we missed out on... ULM and ECU. ULM and ECU, and ULM, another sort of... Ugly, um, not not a whole lot of fun, and it, you know, competitive game. But that's one that you would, you know, uh, want to get to the point where that is not an easy win, but an expected win, and especially yeah. since they're going to be in your conference and toward the yes. bottom of your conference. Ex- yeah. Exactly. Typically, one of the one of the you know bottom third teams in the Sun Belt, and you beat them last year by double digits, lose that game 74-65, and they kind of stretch it out at the end there. And then you go to ECU, and you play pretty well. You shoot the ball better than you have. Um, you know, you could almost argue that it's one of the better games that we have played. I thought it was – final score to that one was 68-67. You lose that one by one point right at the very end. And to me, it was that is how Southern Miss is going to have to play. That is the the formula for success because you didn't shoot the ball very well in the first half, didn't score it very well. Uh, it was slow going, but the defense was good enough to keep you in the game going into the second half. And then you get some big shots from uh, Jerron Pierre played very well, and Rashad Bolden hit some big shots, and you're in it in the end against a pretty good ECU team and just let it get away from you at the end. Yeah, it was. And that first half was ugly, even though you, we were up at the half. But yeah, at one yeah. point, for first half, you had like 40% of your possessions for turnovers. Right. But you cleaned that up a little bit. I mean, yeah, you, you had guys like Rashad Bolton. I think he played all 40 minutes. He had a big game. 
Um, he's really looking like he's one of the better freshmen, you know, we've had since, you know, maybe like a Jeremy Wise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that was a game where uh, you saw some things where you were encouraged, uh, even though, you know, you got to be able to finish that out. Yeah. Uh, ECU, they'd be about kind of a middle-of-the-pack USA team. So you think, well, you lose to them by one on the road. If you play like that, you know, in all 18 games, you may be, you know, you play about 500 ball. You know? mm-hmm. I don't think we expect 500 ball just given the – you know, attrition and, the you know, just the personnel challenges. You know, we don't know if we have the offensive firepower uh, to do that. Um, but, yeah, it, you saw some things. Team played really hard. I thought it was honestly the, played harder than any game we've uh, played this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was uh, it was encouraging in a lot of ways. But, you know, disappointing you couldn't finish that out um, against an ECU team that is, uh, you know, probably one of the um, – better teams they've had uh, in recent years, but still a team that is, uh, I mean, they're beatable. They'd be kind of middle of the pack in uh, CUSA. So, um, but yeah, yeah, yeah you, um, sorry, but go ahead. I didn't really have anything else. To say. Yeah, well, yeah. I, 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 to your point, I mean, I, I think the most encouragement comes from the fact that they are still giving great effort on the road against a pretty good team when it's it's been just – a long string of, of disappointing losses and some close ones in there. And you would hope after a close lock, loss like that, you would continue that effort, you know. And again, I think we saw the formula of success, although, like you mentioned, obviously, you don't finish that game. And, and to me, the turnover turnovers are, I think, the main issue i'm looking at the the turnover margin statistics on the ncaa web's website southern is 320th oh. in turnover margin that's margin out of uh that's out of 346 division one teams so you're one of the worst uh division one teams in turnover margin and yeah i mean like you said you, if you clean that up just a little bit you feel like you would be a lot more competitive i mean you get more positive possessions and Obviously, it's you know when you turn the ball over a lot, it's hard to set up the defense and turn that into to productive offense, and it just kind of throws a wrench in everything. And when you're you know you're averaging, I don't I don't know what the exact number is, but you know double digit, thirteen fourteen turnovers a ball game. That is that's a number that has to come down. And in a game like the East Carolina game, you turn the ball over just ten times, you win that game. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's a point where I mean you're not good enough to where you can really overcome that. You're not good enough off offensively. The defense is is not. I mean it, any defense is not going to overcome 15 turnovers a game, 20 turnovers a game, night in night out. So that that has to be cleaned up, and that is you know that is um, a, a mystery of of basketball in a lot of ways, and it's uh you know. You could blame it on coaching or whatever, but it, you know it's it's the guys on the floor, and a lot of it is just silly mistakes, and and some of those are made by by younger guys, and some of those are experienced guys, and and so there's not really one right answer of okay, this is this is how you fix turning the ball over a lot. Um, so there, there's not a, a clear answer there, and but it, it's it's an obvious question that needs to be answered is is how you lower the turnovers, and if you're turning it over. 15 times a game in conference play it's not going to be pretty you might win one or two games if it, you know if that remains throughout the the conference schedule um, and speaking of the conference schedule assuming uh, that you have heard this broke 
Uh, I guess it was earlier this week, Western Kentucky Marshall Games uh, was scheduled to be Thursday, Saturday. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Those were both axed because of COVID issues. And those were, of course, the initial two conference games. And, and that's a, that, that is a pretty tough opening slate of Western Kentucky. I mean, one of the top two or three teams in the league thought to be at least. And, uh, you know, you open up with them and Marshall – you know, we'll, we'll be uh, competitive again. and But you, you lose those, and so, I don't know, you get a chance to recoup, and, it, you know, there, there are positives and negatives to it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Western Kentucky, that would have been a, a really tough game, you know, beating Louisville and Ole Miss. And, obviously, we'll see them again, and Marshall is sub-150 team as well. And so, yeah, it, it's um, – I think it just – it's more. <laughs> I think we we talk about it every single week and trying to stay away from the same talking points every single week. But sort of just con- continued string of disappointment and you know obviously frustrating having the first two conference games canceled. And so we'll have to wait a little bit to get into conference play, but uh, it's still in a tough spot. Yeah, and uh, just going back to the point about turnovers, it's kind of like in football. They say you want to end every possession with the kick. Mm-hmm. Even if that's a punt, right? Um, same thing about basketball. You want to end every possession with a shot, even if it's no good. Just for like transition, you, you know, like you're saying, you don't want to give up an easy transition bucket. Uh, but as far as Western Kentucky and Marshall, I don't know how they're going to reschedule that because uh, last year you did have that one week at the end of the season that was built in for any COVID cancellations. Um, I think mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I mean, we might not even have played on that week last year. I can't remember, but. Um, it's going to be tough. I was trying to look for any like common dates um, between us, Western Kentucky, and Marshall. I mean, maybe they could squeeze in something. It'd have to be a situation where you're playing like, maybe three games in a week, which I don't think they really want to do. I have to line up with the travel schedule. So a whole lot of things going into account there. So I don't know how they're going to do that. But yeah, that, I mean, that would have been a difficult game, Western Kentucky. They're going to be one oh, of yeah. the top four teams in the league. Yep. Marshall, kind of middle of the pack, but they're still a good team. Uh, they're always going to be competitive with Dan Tony. Uh, so those would have been, yeah, two games where you would have been underdog. So, but now you go next week. You go on that kind of Southwest uh, Texas swing. You go to I forget which games first, but it's UTSA and UTEP. And UTSA mm-hmm. is actually, I think, the only team that's below us, or maybe yeah, right yeah. around where we are. Uh, so even though that's on the road, that's going to be one of your more winnable games. Yep. And then you have UTEP, um, who I, you know, I think they're kind of middling. They mm-hmm. have a first-year coach, uh, Joe Golding, who is actually. A uh, guy I really liked because um, he was at um, he was from Abilene Christian when they beat Texas last year, and I just thought they were really fun to watch on defense. I thought they played a really great defense, and um, yeah, like I said, they had that big upset over Texas last year in the tournament. So I think that was a good hire for um, UTEP. I don't know if you know they'll be great this year, but um, yeah, they're just kind of pointing that out. Uh, first year coach, but yeah, so you're gonna start on the road and. Um, you know, you hope you can just get one of those. It'd be a big thing, yeah, and then yeah. come home and you know try to get to two or three wins. So uh, I guess because after UTEP and UTSA, I forgot who we play after that. That's um, I can look at it right here. Then it's a tough stretch. I mean, uh, I, I, I believe Coach Ladner's talked about how the. I mean, I, I think, and this is sort of a conspiracy. Back to back, lot tech. Yeah, no, that's tough. So. Yeah, that that's tough, and um, I I believe, and I think it was Coach Ladner talking about this after the conference schedule for basketball came out after the Sun Belt announcement, I believe, and 
<laughs> it uh, was it, it not very favorable for uh, us. And so, so the theory is is that um, yeah, the conference office set that up for us. Um, you know, maybe as a, a way to get back at us a little bit. Uh, so, but either way, it, it would have been tough, especially the way you're playing. And then, yeah, after those um, couple of Tech games, you go at Middle Tennessee, and then you're home for a couple against North Texas and Rice, and obviously. We'll talk about those as they come, um, but yeah, really, really would like to win that UTSA game to, to get some kind of positive momentum moving in uh, to, uh, the, yeah, the tough stretch that is all of conference play because you're not at a point where any game is is a you know a, a, a for sure win, and so you're you're going to have to scratch and claw for any win you can get, and that UTSA one is is like you said more. Uh, one of the more favorable matchups that you have. Anything else on basketball before we move on? I think that's it. All right, so let's let's move on to a little bit of baseball talk. Coach Ostrander was on Eagle Hour a couple of weeks ago. Shout out to Eagle Hour. They do great stuff. Me and Patrick were on there a couple of weeks ago. And, and, Pat, you've kind of become a regular, I feel like. Uh, but they, Yeah, uh, I guess our uh, – was that – like two, I guess it feels like it was a couple of weeks ago. It might have been a couple months ago at this. Well, point. that was that. Yeah, I guess that was after our first couple of episodes. So yeah. that was yeah, <laughs> yeah, a long time ago. Time is flying. Uh, but yeah, Coach Ostrander was on Eagle Hour, and I did not catch that. I actually went back and tried to find it and couldn't. But you heard that, and so you want to give us a little bit of tidbit. Yeah, tidbit he was. With Coach he was just kind of talking about. So he had six guys that he thought were he was comfortable with as a starter, and the one guy he really. I uh, talked up the most was Hunter Riggins, who we talked about mm-hmm. was a workhorse at Delta State. Uh, logged a ton of innings there. Was the kind of their Friday guy and had done uh, well there um, at a lower level. But like we were saying, you know, kind of the Gulf South Conference is a really good Division yep. Two conference. It's probably comparable to a lower level Division One conference. So it's you know, I think I comped it to like bringing in the ace from like a Stony Brook or Illinois Chicago type program. You know, got one of those quality low conference uh, teams. So. Um, He's a guy, he compared him to Walker Powell. So he's a guy, I, I, just based on that, I really think you're going to see him on the weekend. Um, yeah. I, I doubt on Friday, but Sunday, I think he'd be getting that Sunday role. He, he fills up the zone. Uh, didn't walk uh, many guys at Delta State. Um, d- didn't have a ton of strikeouts, but he's a guy, he's not, you know, yeah, he's not going to give a lot of free bases. So he's a guy you can see Saturday, Sunday. And then he didn't uh, mention. Uh, or go into detail about any of the other starters in mind, but uh, you got to think Waldrop's in that mix just based on how they used him in the uh, in the fall, kind of there at the front of the rotation. You got to think Stewart's probably in that mm. uh, that group of six guys because they used him kind of the same way as uh, Waldrop, kind of toward the beginning or the the starter for a lot of those uh script or like for the if you so they do the three games and or two or three games and usually he was starting that uh, that yeah. first game so early in the series um so he's got to be in there and then you just think from last year he had Etheridge and Boyd obviously those guys did it for you so you put them in that mix uh, and then I don't know who the six got to be maybe Tanner Hall uh someone like that so yeah. I, I think those are kind of the six guys in the mix for those three weekend spots maybe Chandler Best in there he he looked pretty good in the fall or, right to give you another lefty option. Right, well, that was the, so I was about to get to best, but he okay. mentioned best could be in an ock role, like a, oh, interesting, okay. yeah. So he uh, that we talked about how they brought in best um, as a closer in the Fall World Series, um, and then Ostrander he kind of hinted at he could be in a um, an ock role, mm. so the kind of like that lefty long stopper, yeah, uh, slash closer. 
and that you know he was talking about how best had been dynamite uh, in the fall scrimmages. So that would be um, really interesting to see if he puts it all together. He could really play a, a huge and important role. Yes, uh, in that bullpen, really anchoring that bullpen. So that was just kind of uh, interesting hearing what he thought about pitching and kind of how strategize that into uh, 2022. Yeah, go listen to that interview. That was, what, a couple of weeks ago, Pat? Yeah, it was December the 16th, I believe. Okay, go listen to that on Spotify, Eagle Hour. Uh, that's yes. a super talk show. And, I mean, Hunter Ramsey looked great in the fall as well. Garrett Ramsey. So, I mean, Hunter, yeah. <laughs> Garrett fun. Ramsey, Garrett Ramsey, um, who was one of the best closers in the country the first half of, of last spring and sort of, Lost it at the end of the year, uh, but man, he, he has looked himself to say the least, uh, or he did in the fall at least. So if you, yeah, him paired with Chandler Best in that, like you said, kind of lengthy stopper role, um, pretty, pretty, uh, pretty solid back end. If if those two guys are uh, throwing to their potentials, you feel pretty good about that. Again, the question is the the two big questions to me at least are the pitching because you lose so many innings of production especially starting out of Walker Powell and Hunter Stanley. I guess I was mixing up Hunter Stanley and Garrett <laughs> yeah. Ramsey. Um, so, yeah, you, you lose those two guys who are workhorses and have the options to fill that. But that's a question mark of, of can you get consistent production, especially early in the year with a lot of inexperience um, in those weekend starting roles. And then it's the outfield, and there's some shifting pieces there. Obviously, you have Gabe Montenegro out there who's is going to be out there uh, but then you have one, you could say two spots that are, are they're up for grabs, obviously center field, no more Reed Trimble. And you've seen a lot of different guys in right field as well. And there's a question of, do you move Montenegro to center field? If, if you don't have anybody you feel comfortable with there. So there'll be a lot of uh, shifting pieces there, uh, but you, you do return the majority of your lineup. And so you feel, I think you feel pretty good offensively. It's more of a defensive question in the outfield to me. That That's the second part of, of those two questions for this team. Yeah, I think so. I, I would bet you see, yeah, Montenegro and center. And then Ewing and Wilkes, one of those guys will be in right, one of those guys will be left, you would think. So, yeah, you bring eight and nine of your, um, your lineup back. Mm-hmm. And I was looking, I was running the numbers. The last 38 games – of 2021, the team had an OPS in 924, which is about That's top five. Good. Yeah, top five or top six in the country if you yeah. do that over a full year. So I think this is going to be a very quality, very quality lineup, mm-hmm. um, just because they really caught fire in that last two thirds of the season, and especially into the regional. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's really not really worried at all about the hitting. It's just kind of, I guess, you know, Montenegro playing in center field, getting him up to speed there since he never played there before. Right. Um, but I think Ewing and Wilkes, I think those guys can play either of the corner outfield positions. I don't think that'd be a um, you know huge concern that they couldn't play there. Um, so, yeah, I think um, yeah, the big question is just can some of those inexperienced guys, um, can they do it in a, a weekend starting role in terms of pitching? Uh, and then, you know, can best, can he really be that um, Ox-style closer with Ramsey kind of, uh, if um, best, you know, maybe he's not able to go because he'd been used the previous day or something. Can he come in and give you something? Or maybe he can be a setup guy. So those that's kind of the questions uh, that I yeah. have. But, um, you know, you get all of those shored up, and, uh, you know, you're looking at another strong, uh, you know, regional-type season. So Yeah, and I think you feel really – it's there's a difference between this year 
and last year, I think, because the question marks last year, you know, there were there were some spots where you kind of had there were there were the same sort of questions, but you really didn't know who was going to play there. And I think the difference in the questions of this year is, yes, there are there is some uncertainty in in some of those positions and in the pitching staff, but you have. I mean, when you have six guys that you feel really good about as a starter coming into, uh, you know, uh, preseason spring workouts, that's a luxury a lot of Division One baseball programs would love to have, and you you feel really good about all six of those those guys. And there's a lot of great talent in the outfield as well. You mentioned Wilkes, and obviously uh, Reese Ewing had a, a fantastic end of the year last year, and. A couple of those younger guys, uh, Carson Pato being one of those in the outfield who's, who has looked really good, and and so it's not a, it's not as if you don't have any idea who's going to play out there. It's just a matter of who of a lot of guys you feel pretty good about are going to fit in to those positions, and that is uh, I, I think that's that's a difference between this year and last, and you feel like you said better offensively. I mean, we all remember how absolutely awful we were at the plate in the first third of, of last season and then it's it's just started to mesh guys got their legs under them and you know Will McGillis is a great example he you know had Ruthian numbers at the end of the year and you uh, you know and, and continued that in the fall so you expect him to be a leader at the plate and a lot of those guys just saw a lot of pitches last year that we I mean we were so young last year and you bring you you know there's there's still some some freshness to this team um, just the roster in general, but guys with a lot of plate appearances and guys guys that really caught up to Division One pitching at the end of last year, and and you know just about the entire lineup had a, had a great regional. Mm-hmm. So you feel you feel I think you feel really good, and like you said, I think this could be a really strong team. I think this team could be better than last year. I think you could push for a hosting spot, and I feel like I say that every year, but I, I think um, you know you answer some of those questions. Yeah, I I think you could uh, you could make uh, another deep run, and uh, unless something changes, which there is uh, just due to the practicality of it, highly doubt the conference tournament is is going to move. I know some yeah. Louisiana Tech fans, um, <laughs> you know, really wanted to not be in Hattiesburg, but you, you know, you have your hopefully your last conference USA baseball tournament and in, in Hattiesburg, and so that's a big advantage. Moving into the postseason, uh, so yeah, fifty days away. It's going to be another uh, really fun year on Fourth Street, and we will uh, obviously keep tabs as we continue to get closer to that. What well, we will uh, we'll do a full we'll, we'll kind of break down the schedule um, as we get closer to that. We'll do a maybe we'll do a specific baseball maybe a, a bonus episode or something like yeah. that. A lot to talk about, but yeah, feel really good, and it sounds like Coach Ostrander does too. Again, go listen to that. Interview on Eagle Eagle Hour. That was a couple of weeks ago. Those guys uh, do a great job over there. And uh, Pat, unless you have anything yeah, left just, on baseball, you were talking about McGillis. He's a guy I think could slide in. So I was thinking they're going to basically just run the lineup back from last year. That you basically run back the same lineup you had that Monday in Oxford. Sure, McGillis is a guy. Maybe you could slide in the Trembles role in the second, on mm-hmm. uh, the two hole, and then you. I guess you know. I guess you would shift, uh, or I guess you could do like. It was a Montenegro, then McGillis, and then Fisher, and then I guess you have to, Sergeant. Yeah, and then fifth was um was it uh I think Ewing was fifth right, and yeah. then 
Okay, so I, I mean, you have to fit Wilkes in there somewhere, but right. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it, you're not. I don't think you're going to see a drastically different lineup. No, no from what no. you saw uh, late in the year uh, in 2021. Right. So, um, yeah, that's yeah. So it's just kind of pitching and uh, outfield configuration. Uh, kind of the biggest question setting end of the year, but that was about it. Yeah, yeah. so a lot of fam- familiarity, and that is a, a big advantage in college baseball. As as much as personnel tends to change, even even losing a guy like Reed Trimble, you feel like you will still have a really good production at the plate. So, all right, let's uh, let's close it out. Let's put a bow on it by getting to know one of our conference mates, Pat. Who we got today? Well, play the Zydeco music because we are going <laughs> to Lafayette. We are going Louisiana Lafayette. Louisiana Lafayette slash ULL, as they love it to be called. That's right. Uh, they are in Lafayette, Louisiana, obviously, in the uh, the heart of Cajun country, Acadiana. Uh, it's about three and a half hours from Hattiesburg, about two from New Orleans, and then about an hour from Baton Rouge. It started in 1898 at Southwestern Louisiana Industrial Institute. Uh, they had to decide between Lafayette and New Iberia which is about 30 minutes south of Lafayette, and um, ended up going to Lafayette. That uh, was the location of the university. So 1920, uh, they got four-year degree status, um, became uh, Southwestern Louisiana Institute of Liberal and Technical Learning a year later, uh, became University of Southwestern Louisiana in um, 1960, and then ULL, uh, University of Louisiana at Lafayette in 1999. Uh, heavy in-state enrollment, 93%. They get about 30% of their students are from uh, Lafayette Parish. And then over half of their students are from the core kind of Cajun country uh, parishes. They get some students from Baton Rouge and New Orleans. So uh, kind of, I guess they get a lot of students from, uh, or some students from the North Shore, kind of like USM does. Uh, so you have some, uh, I guess, overlap there. But uh, football in the five-year FPI average, second out of 14, only behind App State. They're the defending Sun Belt champion. Uh, they've had back-to-back-to-back years of top 50 performance. Um, they're going to finish in the top 25 in the AP and coaches ball for a second consecutive year. Uh, and they, you know, a ton of history with USM. Uh, 51 total meetings. USM is 39-11-1. Um, in those games, it's actually the third most played series USM has. Uh, and it, it, or it eventually will become the most played series. It's, I think, about 12 behind Memphis. Uh, so after about you know, you know, I guess we're thinking we may play Memphis in like a home and home. That was rumored a while back, but uh, more than likely, with about 15 years or so, Lafayette will surpass them as the most played uh, series in USM football history. Um, five, they are five out of 14 in the five-year uh, basketball Ken Palm average. Uh, last NCAA uh, tournament appearance was in 2014. Uh, regular season title of 2018. They lost in the tournament that year. Uh, but they did uh, win the regular season title recently. Uh, and then fifth most, fifth most meetings all time with USM. USM is 39 and 30 in those games, so about 70 meetings between USM and uh, ULL all time, so a ton of history in basketball as well. Then uh, baseball, baseball's four out of 14, the massive four-year average, kind of a downstretch for them. Uh, they've been at 16 regionals, uh, with the last being in 2016, so it's been about five years since they've uh, been to the NCAA tournament. But went to Omaha in 2000. They've been to four Super Regionals, 1990, 2000, 2014, and 2015. They got top 10 attendance, yeah. great atmosphere there. I was surprised we've only played them 51 times in baseball. I was thinking it was going to be up hmm. in kind of around 100, uh, you know, kind of closer to how many times we play like a South Alabama or even maybe a Tulane. 
Uh, but yeah, so 51 meetings. USM is 23 and 28 in those games, and then you have that uh, weekend series in March. That'll be, I guess, the last non-conference series. Mm-hmm. I'll blow with them. We're thinking, uh, assuming that the Sun Belt move happens in 2022, and then uh, softball is a national power. Yeah. They've been to uh, the Women's College World Series five times, most recently in 2014. They've been to 30 regionals and 31 seasons. Uh, they won the Sun Belt regular season 19 to 21 years, and they have seven super regional appearances uh, in the last 13 seasons. So that's a, it's still like James Madison, another top 20 uh, softball program. That's a team we'll play every year with yep. them being in the West Division. So, yeah, really, really um, great um, softball program there. And the notable attendees, uh, Frank Ocean, uh, the rapper, he's from New Orleans, I think. Um, and he attended uh, Lafayette, according to the Wikipedia. Wow. Uh, for a little while. He did not graduate. And then oh. uh, George Rodriguez, uh, the Blue Dog painting guy. I don't know if anybody's familiar with his work. Oh, yeah. The Blue Dog. You see it all the time. Yeah. But uh, that's him. He was at ULL for a little while. So uh, that is uh, Louisiana Lafayette right there for you. There you go. And this is this is a, an opponent that, you know, there's obviously – Great research, Pat. Good information. Um, this is this is you know coming into the conference. I think a program that most Southern Miss fans are going to be pretty familiar with. Just I mean, you mentioned all of the the times we have played them, and you know across the board, really. And so, to me, you know, I, I think initially a lot of people's answers for you know who you most excited to be uh, a conference mate with some a lot of people. You know, App State, Coastal Carolina, those are kind of the two shiny names right now. But to me, it's it's Louisiana Lafayette. I, I think we have just – we've had great history with them. They are, uh, to me, the, the most natural of, of rivals. Um, you know, maybe you can make the argument with South Alabama too. But, I mean, you saw it in the, the baseball weekend series last year and how, how fun and just chaotic that was. And, you know, the, the Danny Lynch, I think maybe he was DJ Lynch at that point, uh, the <laughs> – the the best bat flip of all time just makes a lot of sense. You're going to recruit against them pretty constantly across the board, and they they've been successful. I mean, you you listed in the last you know the five year averages for almost all of the big three, uh, or really just across the board, have have been top half of the Sun Belt, and they've they've been really really good in football, obviously. And you know, you mentioned back to back to back in the, in the top fifty, and in baseball, you know, a little surprising to see them only fourth out of fourteen in, in the four year average, uh, because you know, to, if for the um, you know the expectations of that program, their expectation is is to win the Sun Belt every year. I mean, that that is a high expectation program. You mentioned the the tradition and the fan base they have. That is going to be a fun road trip. Uh, you know, every couple of years and to have them every couple of years in Hattiesburg, you know, they travel well and it, it's just going to be a lot of fun across the board. I, I think uh, to me, yeah, that's, that's uh, the most exciting conference mate that we've talked about yet. And, and I think just in general, uh, because, you know, it, you even go back to the new Orleans bowl in what was that? 2016. Yes. And they traveled really well. And, and so did we, it, it just makes so much sense, and this is another thing we say every single week. It's uh, it's just a natural rivalry, and you connect in so many different ways. And to have that natural connection, plus the success that they've had, this is a program that you are going to really enjoy and also hate playing against. And those kind of matchups year in year out across the board in every sport that is. That is going to bring you up as well. Those those kind of um, 
matchups and, and contests in in every sport and those those sorts of rivalries. So I I think this is yeah ULL Louisiana <laughs> whatever you want to call them, ULL. They uh, I, I'm really excited because that is that's a, to me that's a top notch group of five athletics program across the board. And again, you you connect with them in, in so many different ways. So really excited about the Cajuns. Yeah, as a conference man. Um, they, yeah, they've really invested in their programs. But there is just so much that's similar with our university and theirs. Just when you like look at enrollment, I mean, just similar size. Yeah. Uh, Lafayette is it's a bit bigger than Hattiesburg, but it's kind of like a bigger version of Hattiesburg, uh, similar in a lot of ways. And then uh, they actually just moved up. We talked about Georgia State was the only other R1. Uh, Lafayette, just, they just announced the new R1. Lafayette's moving up to R1. So just similar as institutions. Uh, similar cultures, you know, they got a great college baseball culture like we do. Yeah. So just, yeah, a, a team that we're really gonna, um, like you said, we're really gonna like playing. It just makes a lot of sense to be in a conference with them. I thought the thought uh, recently, I guess beginning of December, hired, hired Michael DeSormo. Yes. Hopefully, I'm saying that right as the successor to Billy Napier, and felt like that's a pretty good hire. So I, I expect that football success to continue. And again, that's a, I think that's a. A program you are going to equally love and hate playing against because obviously they have they have run the West in uh, you know for what seems like a, a really long time and so that's somebody you're typically going to have to go through to compete for that division and uh, yeah hopefully hopefully that is in 2022 that we we uh, play them in, in a conference game and compete against them for the Western Division and the Sun Belt so that is Louisiana Lafayette. University of Louisiana, if we're going to say it respectfully. That is another one of your conference mates and one we will uh, become all the more familiar with hopefully very, very soon. So that'll uh, that'll wrap it up. This is a quick episode, just a few things to catch up on. We're going to have uh, some, some interesting new segments for you guys in the next couple of weeks uh, while we... Yeah, move into sort of the dead period for football, and uh, obviously we'll talk about basketball more, and and uh, we get much closer to college baseball. Very excited about that. Going to be another fun year on Fourth Street. Pat, anything else before we close it out? I think that's about it. All right, this has been Buzzardry. This was episode twenty three. We greatly appreciate you listening to us in the year twenty twenty one. Hey, we'll see you next year. This has been Buzzardry. My name is Ben Mile, and that's Patrick McGee. See you next time. This has been Buzzard Dream. Thanks for listening, and be sure to share and leave a review. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Buzzard Dream Pod for all you need to know about the show. See you next time.